You are listening to episode 87 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John. I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So Ryan, this is a game that I actually had never played and I saw it probably a million times in the past, especially when the PS2 first came out, Fantavision. And uh, yeah, dude, I was totally stoked to finally give this game a shot and I was not disappointed. Dude, I've never even heard of it. And I don't know if we talked about this last week or said it, but we were thinking about doing Gravity Rush. We'll get to it eventually. Yeah, I mean, Gravity Rush is like, like 120, a, 130 dollar game. We had a opportunity for a tie in this week with, uh, you know, the celebration. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Enjoy that three-day weekend. Well, uh, for us during recording day, it's 4th of July. So uh, you'll be catching this episode on Monday, July 6th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or pending where you are in the, in the world. Yeah, and if you're if you're not here, you know, happy 4th of July for no apparent reason. And for our fans in the UK, happy Treason Day. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this week we got a lot of stuff going on. The first one being uh, NBA 2K21 actually just had pricing uh, apparently revealed. And it's $10 more on the PS5 and Xbox than, you know, current gens. Uh, the next thing that we got coming up is going to be Sony committing to smaller games on the PS5 and PS4 in the uh, indie scene, which is awesome. And uh, the last piece is Nintendo World Japan looks flippin' sweet. Dude, like, I want to move to Japan just to spend all of my days. And, like, I will sneak into Bowser's Castle and sleep in Bowser's Castle. I mean, there's plenty of good reasons to move to Japan. This is just another one. This just adds to it. Yep. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, as always, we'll get started for pickups. Uh, Ryan's typically fast in this area, fast in other areas, but fast in this area in particular. Yeah, so uh, this week I took full advantage of the Steam Summer Sale, and with a lot of pressure that's been on me for a while from my other friends, I finally got Tabletop Simulator. I haven't actually booted it up and played it with them yet, but uh, Tabletop Simulator, I don't really know exactly what goes into it, but it is a virtual simulated tabletop, as you might expect. And you can play any number of games in here. Like my friends have been going through all of the Magic the Gathering core sets and stuff and playing like any cards that you want. So I'm not sure like, you know, the legality on all this or how they get the rights and images for all these games. But, you know, somebody's out there putting it in and you can play everything from like, like I said, Magic to chess to probably some backgammon and uh checkers i would assume maybe there's some dominoes you can knock down i don't know what is potentially out there but just think about it john anything you could possibly simulate on top of a table so you're saying i can play dominoes virtually dude i'm i'm not saying that i know what you can do but you might be able to virtually play dominoes against somebody playing Yu-Gi-Oh. And I don't think that's ever been done. I don't think we may set a world record here. We may set a world record for the greatest domino Yu-Gi-Oh match of all time and the length it takes to complete. Heart uh, of the bones. So this sounds actually pretty cool. Tabletop simulator. Now I've got actual Magic the Gathering cards. I know we want to do an episode at some point down the road of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, we'll get to it. We're both uh, MTG fans. Yeah, I mean, I've got way too many cards that way I have not Way too many used. more than me. Yep, way too many more than a lot of people, actually. Uh, okay, so anything that you are currently playing? So I did not play, like, hardly anything this week. I played, like, maybe a little bit of Slay the Spire on iPad that I picked up last week. And, uh, like, I haven't gone back to playing anything on my Vita. I haven't gone back to playing anything on my console. I did talk to my wife, and we are most likely going to, for now, send back Final Fantasy VII Remake so that I can rent something else. Uh, the new Paper Mario Origami King is coming out, I think, next week or something, and... I sure love the Paper Mario series and I'd sure love to play some of that. But if I've learned anything from being on this podcast and if I've learned anything from the last three Paper Mario games, it's not worth the day one full price buy. I'll game fly it out, see if it's any good, buy it later if I really, really want to. But I'm going to try to be more frugal with uh with this and it just hanging on to final fantasy 7 remake is not helping me anymore 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, those of us that have heard us in the past know that Ryan doesn't complete games very often, so... Uh, I never complete games. No, you've completed a few. I think. I don't think I've ever, like, a hundo a well, game. Well, how about this? I've anybody listening, games. Anybody listening can tell us by catching previous episodes of a Game Inflators podcast on Spotify, Instagram, Podcast Addict. Oh, not Instagram, sorry. Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are found. You can, however, find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at The Game Deflators, except for Twitter, which is at Game Deflators. Well, tell us your favorite game you've abandoned. A lot of people don't abandon games, but uh, I mean, I, I do. I just abandoned one this weekend, actually. So... My current pickups, so as always on the Game of Flutters t- podcast, we like to talk about games John has picked up, games John is currently playing and finishing, and uh, whatever Ryan's inflation deflation is for the week. So this week I picked up The Council on PS4, so it's uh, the full you know gambit of games on there. Uh, Final Fantasy Type-0 Tenchu-Z uh, is coming in the mail. Magna Carta 2 on Xbox 360 is coming in the mail. Man, I got Magna Carta is like the weirdest title it is for a game yeah i'm pretty sure i have the first one uh i gotta check i I think it's on ps2 if i'm correct uh i'm trying to peruse the wall right now you keep talking it's behind you i'll look at the it is i see it i see it it's right there it's next to like mr mosquito yeah so i had the first one now the second one coming in the mail and uh i picked up record of lodos war which i'll get into in a minute i told you a story earlier i'll let our listeners hear this one uh, Kinetica, which I told you I was picking up last week, finally came in. Uh, so that's that PS2 racing game where you have like wheels on your legs and hands and you just go through these crazy things doing acrobatic tricks. We got to play it like it's actually a ton of fun. Uh, Death Smiles on the 360, Natural Doctrine on the PS4. And I finally got a copy of Beautiful Katamari. It's not complete in box, but it has a flipping case to it. And uh, I bought that through GameStop. And the best thing about GameStop is they continue to screw up their online orders. So, again, I went through and, and picked up their buy to get to free deal recently at $14.99 or less. Got all my games in. Beautiful Katamari was a great game, right? It's, uh, you know, it came with a case and everything that I wanted, except for the manual. And I went to return to disc only's back to GameStop, and they gave me full credit back. Nice. So it's like... I basically got a free copy of Beautiful Katamari, took the money that I would have got through them, and ended up picking up these two games, um, The Council and Final Fantasy Type-0. And on top of that, they had a copy of Godzilla in stock, which, as you know, is expensive. Except when I purchased it, it had a nice big scratch on the top of the disc. Uh, so I was like, guys, I'm not buying this. I'm like, yeah. it's, it's broken. Like, it's it's got a, a scratch on the top of the data. There's no way I'm going to pick this up. Like, I'm returning it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And then they gave me cash back. And... For the cash back, because I had $10 in coupons on my account, they gave me the $10 in coupons in cash. GameStop is stupid. Like, seriously, man. The bank of GameStop. They, get your money. Like, they cannot get their online piece correct. So, like, I'm buying games at a discount for free, and I, I could literally return all of them, and they would give me the full amount back. Um, they gave me cash back on coupons that were in my thing. And, yeah, like... And then obviously I got these other two games. And remember, people, like, you take advantage of the system when you can, but don't abuse the system. Leave room for other people to take advantage, too. Yeah, like, this isn't something I would openly say, hey, I'm going to keep buying games, buy two, get two free on GameStop's website. Like, maybe it's a fluke in system. Maybe it's not. Like, I'm still putting it towards games in their store. Like, I'm still buying you know, I'm taking that cash and putting it towards other things. So it's not like I'm getting cash back and be like, cool, I'm taking money from GameStop. Like I'm actively putting it back in their store on other things. But it's like you gave me two free games. Like there's it's no wonder their stock is crap and they're going down the tube. Like you can't even handle those types of practices. And then giving me money back on coupons like really? Well, I was always convinced as a kid before I knew that there were like exceptions like no, these don't apply to sport games and some other, you know, minor details. I was like, there's got to be some games in here that you could just buy three of them for cheap enough that you could trade them all back in immediately and get that $10 credit. So I've done that. And just infinite loop. So and they just buy out the whole store. I mean, you'd be there for weeks on end doing the transactions. They usually have like a uh, three for 60 type deal. Mm -hmm. So if you pick up like you know, three games of twenty four ninety nine or less, it's like sixty bucks or whatever, right? So yeah, pretty decent deal. So what you do on that is you 
buy three games, all of them the same three games, and you sell two of them, and you get pretty much all your money back on it. So it's it's kind of it's an odd thing. Like I don't know why they continue doing these sales and don't take precautions on their side but i mean gamestop's winning out in the end with the pennies on the dollar they give you for trade-ins yeah they're definitely making their money but if every single person does what i was able to do like come on like that's just a loss we can't all be that good john it's too high of an expectation for the world i guess now my copy of record of lotus war was interesting so uh you know i showed you earlier the pictures so i bought this from gamestop not from gamestop this was on ebay and so i picked it up and the guy says you know great condition the case is the only thing that's messed up uh disc is in fantastic shape everything works blah 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 great picture great picture yeah everything looks super solid the front case was cracked i'm like cool i'll just swap that out not a big deal so i get it and there's two huge scuffs along the inside part of the disc uh, both of them were pretty blatant, right? And then tons of little scratches all over. I'm like, not only do I have to get this buffed out, but who knows if it's going to work because it's a CD-based game and they don't buff out the best. Or, you know, um, uh, what is it? When you go ahead and just take off a layer, basically. Mm-hmm. Some people hear it as buff out and they're like, oh, you're just buffing it. No, it's uh, resurfacing. That's what it is. So <clears throat> basically, I email the guy or message him on eBay. I'm like, hey, dude, uh, I just got the game. It's got two huge scuffs on it. You didn't have these described, and they're not pictured. So I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, like, if you look at the back of the disc versus the picture, like, I was, like, turning the disc and trying to, like, see if I could imitate the lighting that he took the picture with, and, like, you could see the little, like, serial code just on the inside of the, what do you call, like, the center punch-out circle? Yeah. The (laughs) holder spot? I guess. Yeah. The finger hole. (laughs) the same number... So it's obviously the same disc. So it's like, unless it happened during shipping or that guy's just a wizard with a camera or... I think he's a wizard of a camera because he was like, oh, well, was it dislodged? I'm like, yeah, it was dislodged, you know, the disc when it came through. But that's not damage that happens from being dislodged. Like, you don't get that type of, you know, mark on your disc on two sides if with a dislodged disc. And plus, it's not a jewel case. So, like, it's not moving very far. It's not bouncing up and down. Yeah. It's a single layer jewel case. Like... The worst it dislodges and it might hit like the little ring on the inside and that's it. So he just sent me a crappy disc. And so, of course, um, I'm going back and forth. He's like, oh, you just want to get a free game out of this and you're, you know, swapping off a good one. I'm like, BS, why would I like I'm not going to tell the guy I've got thousands of games because he has my address. But I'm like, dude, like, come on. Like, I've got tons of games. Why would I care about swapping out like this record of Lotus where like clearly it, it isn't what I bought? And of course, the response back is, well, does it work? Like, I don't care if it works, man. Like, it's not what it looks like. And for all I know, it's going to skip out 30 hours into the game. Like, you don't really like he popped it in for an RPG. He's like, it works. It's all good. No scratches. And then it, it's all scratched. So, of course, I'm like, all right, well, you seem he offered me a partial refund, which I immediately declined. And uh, he was like, well, you know, uh, you know, if you're not going to accept my partial refund, you're not going to test it. And I don't know what we're going to do. I'm like, OK, well, I'll just get eBay involved and uh, we'll go ahead and go through the return process with them. And immediately it just says the sellers accepted your return. And then shortly after that, I got a refund right off the bat. And the best part on that was he messaged me and said, hey, dude, uh, you know, send it to this address and uh, I'm going to ship out to return label to you in the mail. I'm like, what? I'm like, you clearly don't sell very often because you didn't have a regular label on this thing. Plus, you didn't send me, you know, like you're supposed to send me an automatic label through eBay. Like it's super easy to do. And he sent me to refund right away which you're not supposed to do either on eBay. So, hey, everybody gets a learning curve. The guy's had like he's been on there for like 10 years. Okay. Well, some people need a little bit longer of a learning curve. Yeah, okay, that's true. His account's pretty old. Uh, but regardless, I said, "Okay, I'll keep an eye out for the label. Thanks." You know, no issue like and I told him I'll return the disc right away, not a big deal. I even like double packaged it to make sure it didn't get damaged along the way back. And, uh, and also put bubble wrap on the inside of a disc to prevent it from, you know, moving up and down in the, la- in the disc, if it the case, if it did. Mm-hmm. And of course, like the next morning I wake up, it says, I don't want to deal with this type of hassle. Uh, screw it. I'm not going to, you know, send a return label. Just keep the game. It's only a few dollars anyways. Like, that's a $50 game that you sold me. No, apparently not. Uh, apparently not. So he probably got it for a few dollars and a lot. Was scratch. Figured he'd pull a fast one on somebody. Said, screw it, it's not worth the hassle because now I'm going to have to buff it and deal with all that. So whatever, I'll just let it go. Which is cool, but, you know, if from the very get-go, him saying, oh, you swapped out a disc and trying to call me dishonest. I'm like, if I was being dishonest, then you would have fought that tooth and nail to make sure that I didn't get away with swapping out a disc. Like, you would really be pissed off and fighting that. 
clearly by saying, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter, it's only a few dollars, he knew he was in the wrong. Remember, so, people, don't let sellers online treat you like John treats GameStop. Well, I also sell on there, too. But, uh, you know, here's the thing with eBay and how you package things. If you're selling games, please do people a favor and layer a small piece of bubble wrap or some paper or something along the lines within the disc case itself and the game. So that way things don't shift. So I don't know if that's the reason that there were scuffs. I I doubt it because it's just not the type of damage you would see from a disc moving. Uh, but it does help prevent any issues when you properly pack. People take that into consideration when they're leaving feedback. They take into consideration when they receive the item. I have countless times messaged a seller and just said, hey, FYI, I'm sending here's a picture of what I've packaged. Here's a picture of a game working like here's everything up front. So, you know, as a buyer, OK, cool, I'm getting a good product. Don't send somebody like a $50 game and not test it beforehand and not properly package it. Like I've sent like, you know, 50, 60 games and I've bubble wrapped them inside of a priority flat, you know, flat rate box and then shoved that into a package and then said, OK, here it is. Yeah. You know, like, here's what you're getting like. I'm actively like taking precautions to make sure that the product that that person gets is top quality and that they're happy with their purchase. Like the last thing you want to deal with is a broken jewel case or a broken disc or something along those lines because the seller didn't package it properly. So that's one good thing. And then obviously if you're a buyer, leave feedback. <laughs> like it's always nice to, to get some positive feedback. So, okay, that's uh, that's my rant. Uh, I haven't even gotten to what I'm playing, dude. So right now uh, I beat Arc Live 3 finally. So that was good. I enjoyed it. Great ending and uh, really closed out that arc. Yeah, pun intended. Uh, and then the other thing I actually played was Incredible Crisis on the PS1. It was just a random. I'm going to pick this up. I'm going to play it. See how it is. It was actually fun. And it was maybe well, two hours. I was. Yeah, I was so surprised. I was like, just beat it. Like you beat that game or you're telling people that they should beat it. Oh, I just beat it. Okay. Yeah. yeah so Incredible Crisis is maybe a two hour game at most. Um, that's if you struggle, which I did at times. And if you want to get Carpal Tunnel, this is a perfect way to get it because it's a shit ton of button mashing all over the place, just like XXX or like X triangle, X triangle, like back and forth, like super quick. Uh, like you're using both hands like pretty. What is the game? So the game is pretty much a crazy day in the life of a family. So you have a grandma, a husband, a son, a daughter, and a wife, okay? And uh, I forget the names. I think it's like, Tetsuno or something I, I forget his name but the husband it starts off the first day with he's in his work and are doing a dancing class and so it's like hey you know you can do this dancing and so you're matching up kind of like power opera rapper and you're going through the dancing process shortly after that, this giant wrecking ball gets loose comes out of nowhere and crashes into the building and you're running away from the wrecking ball so you're basically like you have energy drinks that are like your meter of speed and then you have like this wrecking ball on the bottom. You can see like this blue bar. And when it gets on the red, you got a button mash till it hits blue. At the same time, you're dodging obstacles. So you're like button mashing, pressing oh, up, pressing left. I have left. seen this game before. <clears throat> yeah, excuse me. So that's the whole process on that one. And you just go through these mini games. That's all it is, a ton of mini games. So you go through the life of or the day of the dad. Then you go through in, you know, as the wife. And the, oh my God, so this is funny. There's this like sequencing type of thing where you're doing like this song and they have these uh, criminals called the wolves and they're basically stealing a golden piggy bank from the bank and you're trying to get away from them. But they capture you and you have to like figure out the code and get the bank. Right. Not a big deal. It's kind of like this Indiana Jones thing. You have a bag of groceries and you're trying to make sure that grams are the same amount as what the piggy bank would be. So it's like, oh, get X grocery put in the bag and then you like quickly swap it and you walk out. So. They actually have you decode it, but it's like this musical scene. I swear you've got to see it like these wolves are playing trumpets or these people in wolf costumes and are like dancing and everything. And it's got them like jiggling their butts. And then she's in the corner like, yeah, this is awesome. It's just super Japanese. And uh, yeah, so that was a whole deal um, with that. And then you play as like the kid, you play as a daughter and it just everything that happens is like tied together. So you see the wolves or whatever in the, you know, the first instance you have is the female ringleader of the wolves <clears throat> is uh, on a Ferris wheel with you. And you have to do like a massage and whatnot to her. And then that's as a husband. But then as a wife, you meet the wolves uh, in the bank 
as a son, I don't remember if you come across them, but you have other situations that occur. Um, like you get shrunk down, right? And you're like, how the hell did you get shrunk down to like, honey, I shrunk to kid's size. And then with the daughter, the daughter sees the wolves in like this crazy chase. And she also like captures this alien, which like makes everything small and then also makes things big. So she has this giant ass teddy bear that you happen to have shot down as a, in a fighter jet while you're playing as a mom. So like everything is tied together. It's absolute mayhem. It's crazy. And I highly just two hours. <clears throat> yeah. All in two hours. Like I highly recommend it. Like it was a lot of fun. If you're looking for a quick fix on a game, this is definitely one to do it. And that's what I was looking for. Just something I could pass the time with really quick, bang through and be like, all right, cool. I accomplished the game like that quickly. Uh, I tried Silhouette Mirage this week. I wasn't a fan. Um, I'll try it again some other time. And then I've started to kind of hold the time until Ghost of Tsushima comes out. I'm playing South Park Stick of Truth. There you go. Finally. That's a I, good one. I just finally saw Al Gore. He's like, hey, come here. He's in the bushes and you walk over and he's like, there's a evidence of man bear pig you know coming around the city and everything I'm like yes like i am so into this game and i just picked up my old data from when i was playing initially i didn't get very far but i of course am the jew class so i've got my uh, what is a stick of the jew i think is what it's called i or don't jew, know it's a jew stick i think is what it's called and you also have like david's sling which is like a rock that you put into a sock and sling it really fast and throw it at the enemies it's funny and of course, you know, Butters is Thor. So. Yeah, yeah. I I think I used Butters the most in that campaign. <clears throat> oh, really? Yeah, I can't remember. I think I was the wizard, maybe? Okay. I don't remember which class that I chose, but I know that I had Butters around for most of it. Well, right now, I just got into Tweaks Coffee Shop, so I'm okay. not very far. Like, Butters is pretty much showing me around town. I got to go to Tweaks. And then, um, I forgot, what's the name of the token blackhead? Oh, it's Token. Yeah. Token, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Token Blackhead, wait a second. I obviously haven't watched a lot of South Park recently. Okay, so that's uh, that's everything for me, man. I'll let you take it off so I can take a drink of water. I mean, that's all the uh, games that we've recently picked up and games that we're currently playing. So moving on, uh, this week in the news, NBA 2K21 and other games could cost $10 more on PS5 and Xbox Series X at launch. Uh, this article brought to you by Rizwan Ahmad at Cyber Rock with two K's. And uh, so <laughs> two K's in his last name. <laughs> and he wrote an article about two K. So uh, they're saying that because of the increase in development costs for next gen consoles have increased between 200 and 300 percent. We got to see this price hike. Now, if you've heard us talking lately on some other podcasts uh we were just recently on the next uh, to nothing podcast yeah, the next so to nothing thanks podcast. to dan k and that team for uh letting us on there yeah and we talked about this a lot on there and i think we talked about this a little bit on grief burrito which hasn't come out yet no that comes out so if you're hearing us on monday grief burritos episode comes out on wednesday and we uh we were on there with them as well so we've been talking a lot about pricing and the next gen of consoles and what games should cost and what games do cost. And, you know, throw in all that kind of out the window. I don't want to repeat myself too much. I don't want to repeat other talking points of other people like Jim Sterling talks extensively about this. And I get a lot of, you know, ideas from him. So I don't want to ramble on too much. But the one thing that I can guarantee you might not be true of every game that's going to come out next gen but for 2k this is only going to be the starter price not only are there going to be multiple editions that come out but there's definitely probably going to be definitely probably there's going to be microtransactions so you mean gambling yeah gambling so you know it's just a starter price like to say that games are now $70 is completely disingenuous if you're still going to gate off half the content behind you know DLC releases and loot boxes or you know even just like buying stuff not at random like if your favorite player just wasn't in the game unless you bought them with no randomness involved that would still be BS and that would still make this just the entry level position so you know sports games hold their value the least want the most from you and really don't have as much you know unique content like the content is unique in that it's all pretty much you know player generated between you know how you're gonna play and who you're gonna play and 
I, I don't know. I don't sports well, games much. I, I will say one thing that I have noticed of a lot of like diehard sports fans, okay? Typically, if you're a sports fan and, and you play NBA 2K and that's kind of been your, your thing for a long time, right? That's typically all you're playing. You're not really jumping into a God of War or a Last of Us or anything along those lines. Like, when you play 2K, you play 2K. Like, you get good at that game. And that's always what you play. And you're always online and you're going to local tournaments. Like, that's what you're doing. You, you generally... A lot of, from what I've noticed, a lot of like avid sports game players don't really jump in anything else crazy. They might dabble in like a Call of Duty or a Grand Theft Auto, but their goal is to get really good at that one game to show up their buddies. And yeah. I, I used to do that all the time. I used to, there was a point in time where all I played was like Madden and NCAA and, um, you know, MLB games like the show and whatnot. And yeah, that's just what I did. You know, I consistently played those games to get really good. And I beat a lot of my friends pretty badly at that game. And that was the end goal, right? Was to show up your buddies. So I can see where a $70 price point would come in for a game like this and why most buyers would be okay with, all right, cool, I'm going to shell out like another 20 bucks to get this pack or I'm going to get alternative uniforms or anything like that because you're not really buying any other games. You're just buying 2K and you're actively playing that game and you might pick up something on, you know, from GameStop or borrow a game from their buddy. Now, this isn't to say every sports player or sports game player does this, but a vast majority that I've met do that. That's what they do. So it's not going to, if you're just somebody and like you're a Madden player, you buy a PlayStation because it's a Madden machine. It's your favorite Madden machine. There are many other Madden machines, but this is the one you've chosen. Yeah. So, like, if you're already buying a console just for that one experience, what's an extra $10? Because you're already probably going to throw another 50 at it and empty microtransactions anyways. Yeah, exactly. So you're not, you know, at the end of the day, like, I might buy six games in a year that are going to cost me, say, $420. Um, you know, but a Madden player may put $300 towards just his Madden games, mm. or he may put down 500 bucks towards Madden and, then he'll and do it again next year and then do it again the following year. So like, that's what they're putting in versus, so, you know, I'm playing 10, 15 hour games. This guy's putting in or girl is putting in 10, 15 hours a week on just Madden. Yeah. And we don't know for sure if this price increase is going to be reflective of all games. I mean, honestly, we don't know that retailers are actually going to charge this because it does say in the article that uh nba 2k 21 will have a recommended price of 69.99 us when it launches so you know oh it'll it'll go for that yeah like, i mean that's, no retailer is going to be like yeah i'm only putting it for six you know 60 bucks yeah but we only know about this one game yeah. we don't necessarily know what it's going to be like for other titles and we also don't know like you know, if games are going to be cross platform for a little while, you know, you're going to be able to buy the PS4 version and play it on the PS5 like, you know, that could be a way around. If they're still only going to charge the $60 for the PS4 version, you don't really feel like you need all that extra stuff for the PS5. You could still for this first year or so, maybe be able to get some of these titles a little bit cheaper if you're not willing to invest in the next gen yet. Yeah, so. I, I totally get that. And, you know, one thing that we've noticed over the years is like PlayStation one games, I think were capping at about 50 bucks when they first would come out. And then PS one had like expensive stuff. Like, yeah, kinda yeah. like people think like the NES must or the SNES must have been cheap. And there was like hundred dollar games back in the oh, 90s. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that would be way expensive. Now. Oh, yeah. I remember paying like fifty five dollars for like a Super Mario Kart when I was a kid. Yeah. Like my parents going out and like when you take the rate of inflation into account, like that's expensive. So while we do say retro games are, you know, priced up the ass right now, uh, at the same time, they could about, always be new. They could always be new. <laughs> like, yeah. So and you could have bought it back then. So, uh, yeah, with PlayStation 1, I think it was 50 bucks is generally what the price point would be. PS2 went up to 50 bucks and then we only saw the price like the $60 with the uh, the PS3 and PS4, really. Um, so, yeah, I would it would be expected, I guess, that we would see. A next gen you know this is two generations now so every two generations has gone up 10 bucks yeah i would expect a 10 dollar increase i mean development costs have gone up obviously the standard cost of living has gone up for people they got to make the money back somehow so i totally get it and on top of that they've been prepping this for a long time if you think about it with the collector's editions the season passes um, the special editions all of that stuff they've been gauging us to see how much people are willing to spend to get their favorite game. So if you're going out and buying 
the special edition with you know extra DLC content for $70, and the vast majority of people are buying that special edition for $70, well, now they have a price point to say, okay, cool, like 30% of our consumers are willing to pay 70 bucks on this, another 20% were willing to purchase this. Like, if you look at that from that type of standpoint, then yeah, they've been prepping this for a very long time to gauge consumer interest and to see what we're willing to spend. And the fact that we've been buying collector's editions and everything off the sun, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that we're going to be seeing a $10 increase. Well, and especially for digital collector's editions, since the PS5 is going to have a digital version and a disc version, you know, those special editions that come with a disc are going to be maybe less useful for some people like you know your giant last of us part two box is incredible and came with a lot of cool stuff but if you have a digital only version and you want that statue you're going to have to buy that and you're going to have to buy a digital version of the game because you're not physically going to be able to play the game that came inside of it because of the console that you picked. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Unless they have some sort of code that would come along with it, right? Well, but then you're essentially getting two versions of the that's, game. That's true. That's true. So, you know, there are digital download editions that have like, you know, we'll give you all the DLC that's going to come out in the first year. Here's a couple skins. Here's a good starting weapon that looks like it's made of gold. So that's cool. You know, we're already ready for all that stuff. So. Yeah. And there's like steelbook collectors and everything else. So, I mean, it, yeah, you're right. It's going to be really interesting to see a next generation with digital only people and wanting to get things like this, like a big collector's edition. So definitely interesting to see what the future holds on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's too much more to go over on this one. Uh, the prices are going to go up. You've seen indie games at a, a lower price point anyways over the years. I mean, $35 games, $29 games uh, at Best Buy. So, you know, indie is probably going to be the way to go to here. They're going to keep the price point low, uh, hopefully, and you're going to have a wide selection of those games too. So, you know, I, I can anticipate the, the bigger names like a 2K or a God of War or maybe Last of Us 3 if they somehow released one of those in a different setting. Um, these are all things I could totally see being at the $70 price point, but you're going to have the small developers keeping things low, keeping things normal, and you know it, it should kind of play out the way we would want it to. So uh, that is a good segue, though. So we've got Sony committing to smaller games on the PS5 and PS4 of PlayStation Indies Initiative. So, Ryan, we oh, and this is by uh, Stephen, is it Tailby mm -hmm. at Push Square? So we talked about this a while back with EA and how they had like this whole indie initiative and they were paying out, you know, to have indie developers put the games out under the EA Indies brand or whatever it was that they called it. So I don't remember what episode that was, but it's probably like 20, 30 episodes ago. Oh, it was uh, EA is not bad after all or something. Yeah. So you can catch that episode in our backlog. Um, but it does make me wonder, like, e like indie games are, are doing pretty good, right? Like there's a lot of indie games coming out on a regular basis. You're seeing them on Steam pretty consistently. Limited Run Games has them pretty consistently. Super Rare the Games. The Switch is swimming in them. The Switch is swimming in them. The PS4 has tons. The Xbox has tons. I well, mean, and they love to push it, too. Like, yeah. you know, EA coming out and talking about it. I mean, uh, last year at E3, I remember a big chunk of the, I think it was Microsoft's brought up like a bunch of indie people to talk and showed like a whole, you know, well, we Nintendo, love indies, we're embracing indies. And Nintendo had an entire like Nintendo Direct, I believe. The uh, Nindies? Yeah, Nindies, whatever. It was like a whole indie type conference that they did, uh, a virtual conference that they had done last year. So yeah, there's a huge push for indie studios. But the thing I'm wondering is, are these game companies, I've never seen a contract, but are they taking advantage of these small studios to buy the IP so they can just have their own teams make it? And what I mean by that is you create a small indie game. It's super successful on Steam. Sony says, hey, we want to come to you and develop with you. Bring your IP over to us as an exclusive. You're like, all right, cool. You sign a contract. And Sony's like, all right, bye. We got your IP. We've got everything. We're good to go. Uh, you can, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. You walk out with a stack full of cash, but now you have no opportunity to continue doing anything with your original series because you sold it. Yeah. So. I'd be curious to see what one of those contracts looks like, how long they keep those developers on there with the original ideas and how all of that looks in the long run. Uh, but I do fear that that's something that's going to start happening. Indie studios getting taken advantage of uh, publishers and console companies, you know, just throwing them out the door and that being it. Well, so. and I mean, you don't have to be an indie to be bought out by a larger publisher and then closed down. Well, after true. You don't 
you know, meet expectations of churning out games that you were never really that excited or never really directed, you know, towards doing that yourself. But there's a little more pain with it, right? So with an indie studio, you may have brought that thing up from nothing yeah. and just put all your heart and soul into this to then sell it. And then you're kicked out and like you have no well, future with that that IP. Yeah. And I mean, we're being a little bit dark here. Obviously, this is supposed to be, you know, more of an uplifting the the bigger console Sony trying to embrace and they try to make it sound like they haven't been saying this for years. Like this is obviously something that we've heard a bunch and seen a bunch. But what really doesn't convince me is saying we're going to do this whole big initiative with PlayStation Indies and you're going to get one new indie game each month. And we're going to start off with Hello Neighbor coming in July. Well, Hello Neighbor was like an okay game. I watched a bunch of content. Uh, Matt Pat, a game theory, he put out a bunch of content, you know, on Hello Neighbor. And I thought it was a lot of fun and interesting, but never a game that I would really want to play. Like, I don't have PlayStation now. I don't have Hello Neighbor. And I don't want either of those. And this isn't convincing me that, you know, they're going to take a two or three year old indie game that's already had a bunch of success. And that's their their new push forward to show how much they're interested in the development of indies. Not that, you know, the developers of Hello Neighbor don't deserve a chance at another, you know, spotlight situation where it really gets to put it out there. But I don't know how much they're really going to make from this. And I don't know how much, you know, them getting this spotlight again really helps other indie studios. Like if this was Braid, like that would be even worse because it's like that game is so old now that most people that have ever wanted to play it have played it or, you know, heard about it. Like it doesn't need that push as much and it just doesn't feel like, you know, oh, we're speaking so highly of indies and, and we want to make sure everybody knows we care about them. And, you know, we showed a ton of great highlights. Like there were so many good indie game highlights in the PS5 reveal, which was a, a good, bold direction for them to show their support there. And that just rings like some better... I don't know. There's just something about this situation. PS Now, Hello Neighbor, not interesting to me personally and doesn't make me feel like they're they're really pushing that hard like they want to be portrayed but I, I don't know i might just be reading into it too much well i mean i don't think necessarily you're reading into it too much i mean there's so many other games they could put out there like disco elysium or to the moon or anything along those lines that have seen success but not like mainstream like crazy good success on the console side of things pc yeah but not not on the console side so but you know sony has been kind of embracing of indie developers for many years anyway so the fact that they're now just coming out saying hey we're gonna make this a huge push like they've been putting out indie games for a very long time and they've always embraced that like games like you know journey and flower and uh i think it was pulse i want to say I, I forget all the, the different titles that yeah, they, yeah. No, pulse is something else that's a, a racing game or something but they've put out like good indie games in the past and yeah it's been their mainstream studio but i would say it's still kind of indie right like journey is not a mainstream type of game that's a game that is maybe two hours you have some fun and that's it it's a beautiful adventure that you're playing and and you're finished with it right so well i think that was a ps plus game years ago it was but they also um on ps3 they, they had a disc version so it was like uh journey flower and i forget the other game i can't remember which one it was but all three of them came on one disc see that's something you could do if you really want to push indies like puts put out like a couple good indies on ps plus instead of ps now instead of feeding us all these garbage like i don't even remember what it was i think i saw what the july games are supposed to be for ps plus and again it's just like all right cool Guess I paid for three months of PS Plus for no reason because I haven't downloaded any of those games. I don't even have my PS Plus active right now because nothing has piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. So I've seen some indie games on there that, you know, or, you know, not necessarily indie games, but games that have kind of piqued my interest that I, I, I would maybe want to get, but not enough to be like, cool, I'm going to throw 50 bucks on a bunch of games I'm not going to play. Mm -hmm. You know, so... And I don't play online anyways uh, nowadays. It's more single player games. I played my PS3 more than I've played anything else. You know, obviously prior to Last of Us 2. 
Um, okay, man. Anything else in indie games here? I know we love our indies, but we got to move on. Moving on. Moving on. So this is actually really cool. Super Nintendo World Japan looks like a Mario level dropped into reality. This is by Jay Peters of The Verge. Okay, you got to If you're listening to the podcast and you don't follow us on social media, uh, go to our social media or any social media or just the internet and look up these pictures because they're great pictures. Like it truly gets me excited in a way that like, you know, Harry Potter world never really did for me. What? Like, it's not that Harry Potter's not cool, but it's just like, this is so much more interesting because it's fully realized in the real world. Like watching the Harry Potter movies, you get a good idea of what that looks like, even though it's mostly CG like this is like just so colorful and bright and fun. And I really hope that they come out with some kind of good park food because I don't think they're going to get a lot of people that just want to eat mushrooms. If they don't have mushrooms for sale, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm sure they'll have like big mushroom cookies or mushroom colored cupcakes and stuff like that. That's actually appealing. But like, Will they could you imagine if you just walked up and it's just like fried mushrooms on a stick or something? Oh, I mean, that kind of sounds good, actually. It does, actually. And uh, just wait. Don't eat the purple muffins. Don't, don't <laughs> eat those. Uh, if anybody's played Lost Levels, you know what I'm talking about. So uh, you can also find this article. It'll be linked in the podcast episode as well. So we always do that. So anytime you're kind of curious where we got it from, just hit up uh, the game, deflators.com, go to the episode and you'll see the links underneath each episode within their respective page. Uh, so dude, this is actually pretty badass. I like it. There's an awesome video tied to it where you can see like a Koopa shell rotating on the top that coins are rotating. Uh, you have the piranha plant kind of rotating side to side. So it's, it's going to be cool, dude. Like when this comes out in the U.S., and, and this is only Japan, but when it comes out in the U.S., they have plans for uh, Universal Orlando, uh, Universal Hollywood, and then there was uh, Singapore, I think, for China. And it looks sick. Like I totally want to go to this. The merch is going to be flipping sweet. You're going to have exclusive stuff that you can only pick up at the Universal Studios. And it's going to be awesome. Like I will probably go to California more often than I do now just to go to this park. When Dude, it comes out, they're going to have to come out with like some new version of Street Pass or something that they can integrate with this. Oh, uh, wasn't what's that game? Is it called Street Pass? The Mario one on the Wii? Do you know which one I'm talking about? No, Street Pass was the DS function where you could like link up and tag people and collect other people's me's and get points and recruit people for those Dungeon Explorer games and stuff. I'm going to look it up because there is a game on the Wii. I forget the name of it, though, where it's like uh, Mario Coin Street or something. You don't remember that game? Oh, are you talking about the one uh, Fortune Street? It's Fortune like Street, the yeah. ripoff of... Uh... Well, it's not Mario because it's basically like a ripoff of uh, yeah, it's Mario just, Party. Yeah, it's just called Fortune Street. That's all it is. But I thought Mario was on the front of that. I don't know. I never played it. I could have sworn he was. Yeah, he's look, he's right on the front right there in the center picture. Hmm. Fortune Street. It's got Mario. I kind of want to buy. This Maybe now. it's like a Monopoly version of Mario Party. I don't even know what it is. Maybe. I don't know. Well, if you know, let us know somewhere online at uh, at Game Deflators on Twitter, at the Game Deflators on uh, Instagram and Facebook. But anyways, this park looks awesome. I think that it'll be a good time. You know, we'll definitely uh, be super famous and rich one day because of all of your lovely support. And we'll go there and we'll take videos and pictures and, you know, send it out to you guys to appreciate through us. One day, John, one day. One day. I'd say like 30 years from now when we're old and decrepit and still but loving Mario. Moving on to this week's inflation deflation challenge, we have Fantavision for the PlayStation 2. Uh, this game was developed by Sony Computer Entertainment, published by Sony Computer Entertainment, designed by Sony Computer Katsuyuki Entertainment. Oh, no. Kan <laughs> Kinetica? Katsuyuki. Kinetica, sure, I think. Sure, we'll roll with that. Uh, released in October of 2000, it is a puzzle game involving fireworks. So, the premise of this game, you kind of have a... It 
doesn't really matter too much that it's a scrolling stage, but it is a scrolling stage with a backdrop of, you know, a city skyscape, you know, planes landing, tall buildings. You know, you could see like some bridges and some water, like typical what you would like to see as a backdrop for some fireworks. You have waves of four fireworks that shoot up from the bottom. It shows you like a little display of which colors are going to be coming up next. You have like a life bar and a star meter and, you know, a few other HUD things, but mostly you're a circle that is on the screen and you can use the analog stick to kind of give yourself like a, a light, like a laser sight that kind of comes out so you can see which direction you're facing because you're just a circle. You don't really have a face. And as the fireworks come up, you launch your circle over to those and that kind of captures them, puts a box around them. And once you've hit three of the same color, you have enough to pop those fireworks off and make pretty colors. So the colors are red, green, and blue. And multicolor. And multicolor. So you need to get three of the same color. And once you launch your circle like onto a blue, you can only then launch to another blue unless you hit one of the multicolors and then you can switch colors. So the idea becomes chaining, like hit all the blue on screen, multicolor, hit all the green on screen, multicolor, hit all the red on screen. Like that would be the desire, but those fireworks only last so long once they're captured and on screen. So you have to pop them before they fizzle out and you miss them and you lose points. John was actually not even able to finish the first stage despite two attempts. Yeah, it was flipping horrible, man. And like, I killed it. Oh, yeah. Ryan, like, absolutely destroyed me by, like, 140,000 points. I started to get a hang of it when we were playing the multiplayer, which you, of course, beat me in that, too. But I got close on the multiplayer. I think this was really fun. Like, I really think that this is one of those kind of games that, like, I would have loved to see another version of. Like, I really liked Luminous or Lumens for Vita, but I never got, like, a console version because... I'm not really much for sitting down at a console to play a puzzle game. I like my puzzle games portable. This would be an awesome, fun, portable puzzle game. The multiplayer was really interesting and dynamic in a way that I wasn't expecting from the main game. Uh, you share, you know, a split screen and you're still trying to do the same thing, link up all your colors and pop them. But there are also like arrows and reverses that come up on stage so you can start to push the screen left to right to get more of the space so the fireworks are coming up on both sides but if you push the screen over you limit how much your opponent can actually lock onto and increase your own range and then the reverse will just flip that whole screen dynamic around there were uh times that john would get the uh was it star meter or star miner something where it just like it'll start shooting off like 20 of the same color and, and you can Ryan just get a them. huge combo but if you can reverse it i don't know there was a lot going on it was pretty chaotic but we got the we got the hang of it it was actually pretty close for most of the match it was like 566 to 600 or something yeah so i think that uh this was a great game and I really enjoyed it. It really was so fitting for, you know, the holiday to have some fireworks going on. And I'd love to see this title come back in some way. Yeah, I think um, I agree with you, man. I, I liked the overall game. I thought that it was super fluid, all the controls. Uh, the multiplayer was a lot of fun. Obviously, I couldn't get past stage one. So that's a, a whole separate conversation on how bad I am at puzzle games like this. Uh, but I mean, the music, the art, you know, it holds up for its time. You know, it's one of the first PS2 games. I think it even has like the blue back on the disc, uh, which is an indication of it being a CD, not a DVD. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was great, dude. So, you know, complete in box. We're looking at 439. It peaked at 499 actually May of this year. And it's just trending down. And then uh, loose, you're looking at uh, three point or three dollars and 50 cents, not three point five. Uh, and a peak of 425 in April of 2007. And uh, that's holding at that price point. And so I actually took a moment right now to look at the Metacritic. 
Average user reviews is 6.6, and the... Not the greatest game ever, but definitely not a a dud. Yeah, exactly. And then the the, uh, critic reviews is like 7 point something, so like it's not bad, you know. And I feel like reviews back then were a little more realistic than views now, like everything wasn't a 9 or a 3. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Like you would... There's a lot of games I look at in my official PlayStation magazines where... I look at the review, I'm like, wow, that's actually a better game than what they scored it at mm-hmm. in, in that. And that's the official PlayStation magazine. So yeah, I think those are out of five stars, if I recall. But, dude, at, at that price point, I think it's totally worth it. Oh, for sure. Fiverr? Yeah. Fiverr for, like, a new, nice inbox game that you're definitely going to get $5 worth out of. I would say, you know, if if you have a PS2 and you're a collector and you don't have this game, I'm going to say, like, it's something you should find and should buy because it's totally worth it and totally cheap. I love when we get to play, like, fun, cheap games because it's like sometimes you play a fun game that's really expensive and it's like, I don't know if it's worth it. Sometimes you play a bad game that's really cheap and it's like, I guess if you want more shelf dressing. But this is right in that sweet spot where it's great and it's cheap, and you should definitely add it to your collection. And at four thirty nine, a hundred percent added to your collection, and it's going you know, down still, anyways. Yeah, like so, you could potentially get this for even less. So here's the thing: if uh, if you have an opportunity to spend five dollars on this game, which technically is deflated in that case, spend five bucks. I mean, it's it's worth a five dollar bill, or five pounds, if you're we were friends overseas. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Four thirty nine. I think it is deflated at that price point. I'm also gonna go deflated. Nice, dude. That was such a random whim of a game too. Like, yeah. I just like messaged Ryan last night. Hey, we need a Fourth of July game. This will work. And I'm so disappointed. I don't own any Captain America games. How's that even possible? Are there Captain? I mean, there's yeah. got to be. There's tons. There's like Super Nintendo. There's Sega Genesis has it. Uh, I think PS One has a Captain America game. Like. They're all over. Like, how could I not own a Captain America game in America? Eh. So unpatriotic. They're probably not that good. Uh, I've, I've heard they're pretty good. Well, we'll find out sometime in the future. I might have to get one. What do you want to play next week? What console are you feeling? Oh, man. Um, we should probably think of these things beforehand. Yeah, we should. We should. Um, you thinking retro or you thinking new? Let's do... I, Let's do something on the Wii U. On the Wii U? Yeah. Okay. The Wii U it is. What game that is? We have no idea. Ryan is taking a close look. He's got his eye on something. I don't know what it is. I don't have a massive Wii U collection. We could try a Rodea Sky Soldier. I had my eye on that one. All right, let's do that. Rodea Sky Soldier it is. Is it Sky Soldier? Is that what it's called? I, I don't even know. Rodea. I forget the name of the game, but that one on the Wii U. So we're going to try that next week. And uh, this has been episode 87 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John. Oh, wait, what? Don't forget to check us out uh, Wednesday on Grief Burrito's podcast. Oh, yeah. How could I forget? Okay, so those guys are awesome. Check out the Grief Burrito podcast. It'll be on Wednesday. We're on that episode. If you haven't already, check us out on the Next to Nothing podcast where we were out uh, last Wednesday. That, and then we also did an episode, God, we've done so many episodes with people, uh, we did an episode with um, Game Tenants Podcast, so uh, Game Grinder and Corpse Slug Gaming, we did a game with them, or a podcast episode of them several weeks ago, I think it was their 98th episode, I want to say. We're getting out there, if you love us, go out and love these other people and support them as well, they're all terrific. Exactly, so, uh, well, this has been episode 87 of the Game Players Podcast, my name's John, I'm Ryan, and thanks for listening. 